Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, if you haven't joined us, uh, we're on book number nine since we've started about, oh, I think four years ago now. Um, wow. And uh, uh, we've uh, we've met, uh, Tony and I have met uh, previously, and we decided one day, you know what? The world needs to hear our opinions <laughs> on other people's work who have worked very hard. So we decided to start filming it. So uh, uh, we, we, we just invite you along on this book club. And uh, uh, if you want to pick up the book, the books are um, are on the website to cave to the cross.com or they're usually linked in the description below of wherever you're finding this. Uh, we have audio and video uh, podcast of, of this as well. And so uh, we just uh, uh, invite you to uh, pick off that that book that's been on your shelf that you've been wanting to read, but maybe is a little scary. It has some big words in it. And so we kind of break that down and we go kind of chapter by chapter and see um, you know, if, if we can uh, add value to the books that uh, that are nice on your bookshelf, but uh, that are actually meant for turning the pages and reading. So that's what uh, that's what we do here. And so we're on uh, on book number nine and uh, we decided to pick somebody that uh, we haven't read a whole book uh, on him before. And uh, and so we picked John Frame's Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. So our mm -hmm. last book, we did uh, the preeminent Greg Bonson who uh, uh, the American Vision uh, put out uh, a, a series of books based on his lectures. And so that one was really a kind of an intro to uh, presuppositionalism. And so this is kind of moving a step forward and, and Frame does a, a, a really good job. He's well known for the Vantillian line of argumentation that, that uh, Bonson is in line with. And so he has, um, has, has done this book. It's a, a, a second edition. It's a, a 20th um, anniversary edition. Uh, if you are listening to it on Audible, then uh, it's uh, brand new on Audible as well. And so you can consume it that way. Like I said, all the links are in the descriptions below. But uh, Rame, he's a, a Christian philosopher. He's a Calvinist theologian. He's taught at uh, Western, uh, I'm sorry, he's been educated at Westminster Theological Seminary, Yale University, Princeton University, and Whitfield College. Um, and so he's um, he's known for uh, kind of um, um, the, the theology and bringing Vantillian and theology together and, and kind of expanding upon what what um, what Vantill has done. And uh, he's uh, one of the uh, uh, preeminent uh, kind of well-respected uh, people of his uh, of 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 apologetics, uh, and so uh, reading him we thought would be interesting. He's taught also at the uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando and Westminster Theological Seminary as well. Right. And yeah. so, um, uh, uh, re reading we've we've read ahead of you, and so uh, um, I'm uh, very impressed. Not with much him. ahead, right? Not, not too much. No, no. But uh, <laughs> just, just enough to, to stay smarter than the rest of the class. So that's all you that's have to right. do. That's all you have to do. That, that's what I've learned from teachers. Or <laughs> so th this is going to be not just presuppositionalism uh, in, in, in narrowness, but apologetics as um, a field in total. And so um, um, we're going to be covering things like uh, the trans um, transcendental argument. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about evil. We don't know how much we're going to spend that time because we've previously done an entire book uh, uh, over the past year. Uh, previously uh, on on uh, that subject, but uh, you know we'll 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 see if uh, I'm I'm sure Frame has uh, just as many good things to say as as uh, Scott Christensen did, and so um, so 
what we're using is is uh, apologetics, a justification of Christian belief. Uh, if you have the first edition, there's been things um, moved around. There's been things in the footnotes, and yes, there are footnotes. Like a, any good uh, 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 Orthodox person uh, uses footnotes, and he's elevated them to uh, whole um, whole sections. And um, uh, uh, I believe tag uh, the transcendental argument has been added uh, to this uh, second edition, this this twentieth. Um, 20th anniversary edition. So that's the one that we're going to be reading from. Uh, I, I, I doubt there's going to be uh, gross sweeping changes like, uh, you know, Jesus is kind of Lord to then, oh, no, no, I'm pretty sure Jesus is Lord in this one. So so if you're using the old version, I, I think you'll get by. But um, but uh, there is a benefit, uh, especially for the the tag version and using this one. So so uh, um, getting in where we have to cover the forward by uh, kind of someone who's come alongside um, frame and and is well known in his own right but they they kind of write uh frame has uh, definitely retired he's like 83 and so uh Vern Horthris uh is as uh, someone who uh Tony and I've read before uh I won't say yeah. if we liked or disliked or were okay with his his book before but uh we we can't uh we can't um, uh just uh poo poo him uh, as as someone not in his own right but he writes the forward here and so he talks yeah. about how this. I, I think they they taught together, right? I think uh, at uh, Reformed Theological yeah. Seminary. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they co co write uh, each other and 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 a whole bunch of stuff like that. So he uh, he starts out by saying that the second expanded edition of John's Frame book on apologetics is a vital and welcome contribution because apologetics continues to be an important area for us to think through. And this is something that I think we don't always think about is that. Uh, you know, uh, with Christianity, the, there's just 66 books and there's not much to to kind of go through. You might find new things here and there. But as as a as a philosophy, you might think, OK, well, we've kind of done it all. And now it's just about, uh, you know, bringing in uh, d different uh, philosophical perspectives. But there is still areas of using God's word in the apologetic method that um, that is uh, being built, that's being communicated. Um, uh, new audiences are experienced in it, new questions are being asked, or what we think are new questions, but they were asked uh, in year 300, and, and now we have to have a, a, a new book to, uh, to compete with those, uh, those old heresies that we are claiming as new heresies. And so, um, so th th this is something that uh, um, uh, Parthris uh, um, says is an is, uh, is important contribution in the area, and I, I think uh, he tends to be correct. So it's important not only for people who are especially interested in, in evangelism and apologetics, but for every Christian believer, there's no office of apologist. We are all apologists. We are all mm -hmm. uh, commanded to uh, give an answer for the hope that we have. Uh, uh, some of us are more philosophically inclined, so we can talk about, uh, you know, modus ponum uh, type arguments or uh, 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 flaws uh, with uh, uh, different uh different degrees, or there are those who have uh, life-changing uh, um, experiences that uh, allows them to use their own, um, their own life as a, a testament to why they believe. And so this isn't just uh, something for philosophical nerds like ourselves, but, uh, but for everyone. So hopefully uh, this book um, uh, will, will help uh, uh, kind of uh, narrow the focus in this, in this strain of apologetics. And so uh, Parthos goes on to say, I, I uh, will briefly underline a few salient points that Frame's book expounds at length. So he's going to kind of give us an overview of why he uh, believes that this book is uh, insightful and important. Yeah. So he's going to start off with the idea of being a disciple. 
And he says that the Bible has instructions and insights that affect every area of life, including apologetics, right? So our conduct, he tells us, is not the basis for our salvation, but it is influenced by our salvation. A Christian believer is not supposed to just, you know, lie still, relax, enjoy the salvation already given to him. True disciple, he tells us, is never off duty, right? He is always a disciple. He is a disciple in the actions of his body, a disciple also in the actions of his mind. He has a renewed mind, as the scripture says. And so consequently, you know, he is a disciple in every word that he utters uh, in an apologetic discussion. So the basis of apologetics, or at least one of the basis he's suggesting here, is that uh, we do it because we are disciples, disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, right? And so that's part of uh, what we ought to do as disciples. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, being a disciple in apologetics is is the next section here. And so he says, uh, a, a discipleship has implications for apologetics. If Sue is a Christian believer, she must remain a believer and act like a believer when she is in discussion with non-Christians. Now, this might seem weird to say, well, of course, I'm always going to be a Christian, but one of the things in in different apologetic methods is that seems maybe to go away. And so it could be uh, you've, you've watched your favorite uh, reformed uh, uh, theologian and uh, the, the person gets into a debate, but they act very unchristian like uh, in their, in their argumentation. And so uh, um, we're, we're, we're called to, uh, you know, uh, uh, with, with, with respect and patience and, and, and kindness uh, that, that, that's the, the, the portion of, uh, uh, um, Peter that, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we get our apologetic from and, and, uh, so, uh, we, we are, we're called to have a good behavior even in that. And then there are certain other people that say, well, you know, let's lay aside everything that we know about God and, and his Bible and, and what I believe. And we can kind of talk about things in general. And when it gets to the, to the, Maybe more embarrassing parts of scripture, uh, you know, those those are just um, uh, a d- different type of literary devices, and so th- that that might not have actually happened. That was that was uh, created for uh, a theological purpose, and so we we can kind of have more of a seat at, at the uh, theological table or at the at the uh, uh, scholarly table, and so um, uh, th- there might be uh, areas and avenues where we think mm, we we must lay aside our Christian belief. And so uh, frames uh, a book here is to say, well, no, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. And neither side would want us to do that. And we might not be fully conscious of that, but this is something that uh, uh, Peter expresses to us to, to always be ready, but uh, with gentleness and kindness, uh, be, be um, good stewards of the truth and, and giving that answer. So, uh, Sue here, uh, she cannot pretend to be religiously neutral when she evaluates religious or philosophical claims or discusses miracles or discusses who Jesus is or discusses the basis for moral standards. She cannot be neutral because God has already given her the truth in Jesus Christ. She ought not to betray what God has given. And so that's that's mm-hmm. uh, that's that uh, neutrality we talked about in the last book. Uh, we, we, we can't say, well, let's lay aside everything that we know and go. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, the, the, there, there is a God. Whoa, whoa, hold on. How, how do you know that? How, what, what characteristics of God? Well, just a general God. Well, what characteristics does a general God have? Uh, w- w- you know, ones from Bugs Bunny or ones from, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, 
uh, uh, different books. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Marvel Universe has has a, a version of an Almighty God. So, you know, what what characteristics of a God uh, do, do we insert in here? And so we can't lay aside our our Bible because the Bible is the specific revelation of who God is characteristically, and so we uh, need to uh, be able to proclaim those truths because that's what we're ultimately arguing for. If not, we're just having a conversation about, uh, you know, uh, which is better chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. We're, we're, we're doing something more than that. We're, we're arguing for a self, a salvific purpose and for a glorification purpose. Yes. And, and we saw this in Bonson, you know, it's, uh, um, there wasn't God in general. There was the specific God of the Bible that he was attempting to defend. And I think that's what the portraits here is, is suggesting here. We're defending the God of the Bible. And so our apologetic has to, since we are disciples of Christ, our apologetics has to be about who he is. He goes on to say that Christian apologetics is concerned with how Sue should present her face positively to unbelievers in order to invite them to Christ, right? But apologetics especially focuses on how Sue should defend her faith when others uh, bring objections. So he's, and we'll see this distinction here in this here is getting at a couple of perspectives. But anyway, he says um, Sue's defense of the faith should be in harmony with regarding the uh, scripture you were alluding to just a minute ago, First Peter three fifteen and sixteen, right, where we had to make Christ as Lord. Um, and then our apologetics is based on Christ as Lord in, in our hearts. Right. And, and that's not just, well, when you're having a conversation, that's, that's always the case there. There's, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, critique of, of maybe Christians, um, um, you know, years ago were, well, it's good enough for Sunday, but then come Monday, then you have to wait until Sunday again uh, in order to get your, your injection of, of holiness back into you. And so, <laughs> so, you know, Christ just isn't Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of every day of the week. And so um, that, that's something that, uh, that we have to keep in mind here. All right. So there is a lure of religious neutrality, especially when you're talking to uh, people who may be smarter than you, they may be more hostile than you. They may have more letters after their name than you. And so many people are tempted to picture a discussion in apologetics as a religiously neutral search for truth. Everyone supposedly starts off as uncommitted or and is trying to find out whether God exists and which of the, the world religions might be true. So according to this way of thinking is most important that everyone should be unbiased. Well, that, that's uh, that's probably a good thing when we talk about things like uh, court. Uh, but even there, uh, even in court, we're we're told to assume uh, the other side is innocent until proven guilty. And so even even when we're supposed to be unbiased in a courtroom setting, we're not actually being asked to be uh, uh, this this laying everything aside. We're, we're, we're told to be very biased towards one direction. So yeah. here, uh, here, here we're, we're, we're not coming as lumps of clay to be to be molded and say, OK, I, I cut this way and and and, you know, th there's my my uh, my earlobe over here. Uh, but th this is something that we're coming to the table already formed in fashion. Uh, we might be corrected in it, but when it comes to this this ultimate belief, um, we're we're not unbiased. But here, the the Bible indicates that this picture is completely unrealistic. It contradicts the actual situation in which we live, and so to to do otherwise is then to be lying or to be deceitful. And 
First of all, that's not something that we would want to do. It's not something that the other side would want us to do, even though they might be the one asking us to, well, could just, you know, just lay aside your Bible. Let's, let's just talk about things in general. That that's, that's, that's not where we are coming from. And it's not where we can come from. The actual situation is that some people have been saved by grace of God in Christ while others are still lost. That's, that's the, that's the message. And that's, that's, that's the reality of the situation we're trying to get across and to say, well, then erase all that. that that's not really the case is to, to then be erasing uh, essentially why you're, you're uh, uh, sitting across the table from the other person and say, let me tell you about this God. Well, I, I don't want to be too forward. And so let's, you know, work our way up. Uh, first there was nothing and then there was something and then God kind of worked his way into it. Well, how do you, how do you know any of that? Well, uh, because it makes your side feel, feel good and nice. And I can, I can maybe squeeze in, well, that might, might've been the case. And th there's my in, and then I can kind of offer you the gospel. And from there, um, um, you'll, you'll, you'll be a Christian. And that's the, the ultimate end. Not, not to say, uh, Jesus Lord, uh, fully, but just a, as a, a salvific point or to, to, to get my point across. And that's not ultimately what we want to do. We, we want to make disciples and we want to give accurate renderings of, um, of, of, of the gospel message. And that includes, uh, the Lord being, uh, Lord of all and God being the creator of everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Arthurus makes the point really that nobody is really unbiased, right? He says um, Christian believers have to come to know the truth, and they, you know, they've already come to know the truth, and they cannot pretend to be unbiased in the way that a non-Christian expects them. Moreover, he says the Bible indicates that non-Christians, notice, already know God, the true God who made the whole uh, world. This is, you know, we've seen this over and over again in our discussions in Romans uh, chapter one. And so the worship of idols, as described in Romans chapter 1, is not an innocent practice, but a reaction in which a non-Christian uses idols to replace the worship of God who is already known. So in short, non-Christians are biased by a commitment against God. So everybody, he's suggesting, is biased to a certain extent, right? So we shouldn't pretend to um, say that we're not biased or try to assume that we're not biased or that we're somehow neutral. Nobody is neutral. Everybody takes sides. You're either for Christ or against, right? And so uh, there is a side there. And, um, and and so that's the point I think that he, he wants us to see in this issue of, you know, neutrality, mm -hmm. right? And, of course, Frame is going to talk a lot about this uh, in, in, in his book. Right. Right. And, and this is something that uh, to, to, to deny this portion is um, you either need an, another interpretation that comes along and says uh, this isn't what it s says it is or, uh, you know, in, in the grand sc uh, scope of things, this is, you know, uh, um, uh, being hyp uh, hyperbole or or it's a uh, it's a, a factor of poetry that that uh, Paul is writing about. But, you know, th th this would be the same as saying, well, there's no such th thing as sin in the world. And so I'm just I'm just trying to present to you that God exists out 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 there. Uh, but he doesn't really have any factors um, in the world. But you say you're you know, you're a Christian who be believes the Bible. Well, yes, just just not all the things that I don't want to talk about. And so that that's that that uh, that's kind of the approach here is if we're if we're saying uh, we want to take this based on a neutral point is to say, 
Well, what I'm actually uh, uh, hiding in my book here is 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 either not, first of all, not what I believe, or it's it's something that I don't want you to know about, so that that uh, um, I I can have a a uh, a greater point of impact on 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 the other side of the table to to uh, to to be more convincing. Uh, but I, I I should believe all the Bible, right? Because that's God's specific revelation to us. It's it's how I was saved, and it's why I'm telling the other person about it. And so to to say that I don't believe in uh, something like the what Romans one talks about is to either not believe God or uh, to uh, hide it from the other side. And so we want to be truthful, and that's the whole point of 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 uh, engaging in in these uh, type of discussions is. Uh, to pre- present the uh, biblical Christian God as the answer to um, to, to everything, and so um, uh, to to do otherwise would be um, deceitful or or incorrect. Mm-hmm. So here's uh, one area where loyalty to Christ matters. If we are loyal to Him with our minds, we must think through apologetics in a way that rejects the idea of neutrality and accepts the Bible's own description of the nature of the situation. It is our ultimate standard. And such renewed thinking is what John Frame undertakes in this book. And he, um, from chapter one, he he uh, shoots out of the gate with it. So that's what we'll we'll see here. Yeah, and and so Hodrefier uh, tells us that this idea of um, neutrality or non-bias or bias or whatever actually Frame kind of talks about this with regard to a prior commitment. That's how he frames it here. And so Poetris tells us that working on the basis of a prior commitment, such an approach has been called presuppositional apologetics. Why? Well, because we who are believers in Christ are already presupposing our loyalty to Christ and the truth about Christ that's uh, presented in the Bible. So a disciple, as we have observed, right, is uh, one who's committed, right? He's committed to Christ. And so Frame prefers the label basic commitments as opposed to presuppositions for this reason. The whole person is involved. No one is religiously neutral. They are committed to their particular position. They come in that way into the discussion that way. And, uh, you know, so we need to be open about that, right? That's that's what he's getting at. So um, Frame uses the idea of a pre-commitment, although we'll see, and at least in the first chapter, he doesn't have a problem calling himself a presuppositionist, but he views that as a person who just has a prior commitment to Christ, mm-hmm. as opposed to folks who have prior, prior commitments to, you know, whatever position that they have. And uh, so the point is that no one really is religiously neutral. That's the idea. Right. Right. Uh, and I think he does a good job with uh, uh, gently uh, uh, talking about uh, the factors of why he doesn't really like presuppositionalism but not to the extent of as like uh Oliphant does uh in in uh covenantal apologetics where i think even in his classroom he forbids anybody from mentioning the word presuppositions uh, uh, oh, wow. uh yeah. yeah uh but uh, w- with with good purpose too i, I think and, and uh, knowing when van Til wrote and who he wrote to and the the people he interacted with it made sense for that and so uh we uh, kind of, it's like tr- traditionally thinking about uh, uh, the concept of of money or or, or uh, something that we've traditionally held as 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 valuable. Uh, we we tend to m- maybe uh, uh, hold on to the 
um, to the icons of 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 the first things, uh, even though we've uh, should have moved uh, uh, past them uh, or or uh, returned back to them, uh, depending on where we're at. Um, so uh, so the 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 label of of, um, of presupposition has stuck kind of within the circles, and so um, uh, uh, frame here does a, a good job of kind of talking about why there are probably better phrases for it now. Um, and and uh, we'll get into that once we get into chapter one here. All right, so one common objection to presuppositional apologetics is that it represents an argument in a circle. And so the objector yeah, says- circular, right? How yeah. can you assume what you're trying to prove, right? right. That's a circular argument. Right? Bible is the word of God because it says it's the word of God, therefore it's the word of God. <laughs> there we go. That, that, yeah. That's all you yeah. Christians do is just go, well, I believe this book, <laughs> therefore it says to believe the book and therefore you believe the book. You haven't right. you haven't moved you haven't moved the needle anywhere, and right. so the one objector says it has no real power to persuade anyone. No one's been persuaded by that at all, except for all the people who have. Anyone who is not already persuaded. <laughs> Frame handles this objection at greater length in the book, and he, he I think he does a, a decent job from what I've read on it. Uh, but I may say a brief word here. This is Porthris, uh, is that this picture of a circle of presuppositional apologetics is a misunderstanding, and it's probably one. Presuppositions. If if you if once you understand presuppositionalism, the circularity uh, argument uh, against it should be probably the very first thing that you learn uh, once you get a good grasp on on what uh, presuppositionalism is. Right, right. And so Porthos here says that on one hand, everyone has a kind of circle, and that no one, as the point he's made earlier, is religiously neutral. Right, people with other basic commitments like to reason or to pleasure have their beliefs influenced by their commitments. That's just the nature of the case. And so we ought to acknowledge the existence of these circles, which everybody has them, rather than try to ignore them. Given that the circles exist, and he tells us we can still present evidence and arguments, right? Just as the apostles did. Right. And so when everybody has these commitments, we all have circles, as it were, right? We're all in, but, uh, uh, we can still present arguments and, and, and evidence is the, is the point he's trying to make. Yeah. And for more on that discussion, if you can't wait for us to get into uh, Frame's <laughs> argument, um, you can go back to uh, our last book, and we, we talked a, a little bit uh, at length in, in there about that as well. All right, so uh, religiously neutrality is a mirage. It's a mirage that never existed in our life. And so why should we pretend in apologetics that it is an ideal that an unbeliever should emulate and that we uh, uh, ourselves should temporarily emulate for the sake of the dialogue? It is disloyalty to Christ to pretend the desire for neutrality is a good thing. Well, you know, uh, you know, is, is abortion right or wrong? Well, you know, I'm just kind of there. I'm... I don't know. Well, aren't you a Christian? Well, yeah, but like, you know, it's, it's a thing and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just there. We, we wouldn't accept neutrality there because we know Christianity talks about things like murder, uh, murder of the innocent, uh, protection of children. And so uh, to, 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 to play the middle of the road in that argumentation is similarly here when you say, well, you know, uh, uh, all all of uh, all of reality is is dependent on something, but it might not be God. Well, but aren't you a Christian? Don't you believe that it's dependent on God fully and everything? 
Well, I mean, yeah, I guess, but maybe not. So really, and so th- th- that's this the type of of thinking that we don't really actually bring to the table. It's 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 something that we kind of try and maybe convince ourselves this is the way that it should happen because uh, this is this is how I believe science happens or how I believe uh, debate happens. But that's not at all uh, what we see in in reality, and it's not something we're told to do, and it's not something we should actually believe or might not be Christians in general if we we take that path. Mm-hmm. And so um, he goes on to say that talk about the centrality of the Bible in, in human living. Right, the Bible's picture of a proper human living is radically different uh, from the world's picture, and the difference occurs already at a very basic level, namely over the question of the independence of human thinking and the independence of human decision-making, right? And so that's the key issue here that he wants us to see. So he wants us to approach the question of the independence, this independence of of thinking and decision-making, considering how the Bible describes the place that verbal communication from God plays in human living. Uh, From the Reformers is uh, going back to Ed Vontes, going back to the sources, going back to uh, not what... Uh, this teacher said about this teacher who said about this teacher, it's going back to the ultimate standard and, and knowing from the ultimate standard uh, what our commitments are. God created human beings in the beginning with this process of verbal communication already in view. We were created by God to have continual communication with him. We falsify what we are able, uh, we, what we are as creatures when we attempt to just work out the truth independently. So this is, this is something revealed to us as the, the exact opposite of the way that we are told to operate. Uh, we're, we're, we're told not to be independent of ourselves, uh, in and of ourselves. We're told to be dependent on, on God, on Christ, because that's, that's ultimately who created us, uh, it's who created the world, and it's who ultimately saves us alone. Right. And so, so yeah, so the point he's trying to make here is that this idea of, well, we're independent and we can work out the truth on our own and we don't need God. He says, no, 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 we were created by God to, to, to communicate, to communicate with God, with others, and to have a relationship with God. And so working out things independently isn't the way that uh, God intended us to do as a creation. And he calls this the disastrous fruit of independence, right? The Bible includes some instances of human beings attempting the alternative strategy of working independently of God. And who is that? Well, the history of the alternative, this working independent of God starts in the Garden of Eden, Right. Adam and Eve decided to make up their minds for themselves, independent of God. Right. And they're thinking about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, we know where that landed them. Right. right. And so, uh, yeah, because God created us so that we would communicate with him. That's part of who we are in, in terms of having the image of God. And so saying, well, I can just work out everything independently without reference to God is uh, a way to get in trouble really quick, as we saw with our first parents. Mm-hmm. So the pattern continues in modern universities. With few exceptions, the overall atmosphere for university learning is an atmosphere of autonomy. It follows that right, modern... So there's this whole, this whole idea of independence again, right? Autonomy. Right. I can work right. it out by myself, on which, my own. Which right. is ironic, considering that universities, the, 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 the study of the universe comes from 
uh, the uh, Christian worldview. Uh, we're the ones that set up the universities. And sadly, we gave them over to this uh, atmosphere of autonomy. It follows that modern universities are not religiously neutral, though they pretend to be. The atmosphere of autonomy represents a form of a rebellion against God. Uh, you know, the, this uh, idea, oh, there's got to be a separation of church and state. So everything must act as if uh, there is no God. Well, isn't isn't that a religious uh, decree that there is no God? <laughs> That, yeah. that, that's a that's a weird that's form. definitely not a neutral position right <laughs> right right yeah that's the i mean uh, you know uh, let uh, i won't get into the argumentation of of why we don't find anywhere a separation of church and state and constitution and stuff like that but uh um uh you know the, the, this this idea of uh, you, you must be neutral therefore uh you know you you can't uh you can't believe in god and you definitely can't make uh uh, uh moral choices based on uh, your uh, foundation for morality when you write laws, laws are inherently moral in and of themselves. And so yeah. uh, to, 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 to have this neutral, uh, the, this attempt of neutrality here is to say, well, as long as you don't do anything religious, then, then you're being good. But isn't anti, uh, 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 religious just, just the same as, as being religious? It's, it's yeah, having so, this so, yeah, much. right. Yeah, and I, you know, you, you think about that. How is it that they say not believing in God is is being neutral, but my believing in God is not being neutral? Well, <laughs> right. wait a minute, right? Uh, right? They're not neutral. They right. don't believe, right? right? So, yeah, there is no neutrality here. That's that's the point I think that both Thrissy is trying to help right. us to see. Right. He goes on to say then that the atmosphere of autonomy represents a form of deep rebellion against God. Most participants in a university are committed to following their own way. And in so doing so, they're committed to rejecting God's way. Right. So in all this, he says his point is that Christians and non-Christians do not think alike and do not make the same assumptions. They have different assumptions in particular about the role of the Bible and the role of uh, making up one's own mind independently and running, you know, one's own life. The Bible itself contains many examples of this difference between the Christian thinking and the non-Christian thinking. And he tells us that we must reckon with this, this difference when we prepare an apologetic discussion, right? And so that's where he wants to head to next. Right. So uh, what are the points for apologetic discussion? So we have... Uh, how we will conduct an apologetic discussion with an unbeliever, uh, we will undertake, uh, will we undertake to present evidence for the resurrection of Christ? Well, of course, but how will we do that? Just, you know, th throw all the facts on the board and, and say there, good, done, be done with it. Uh, will we do it without any attention to what people think are the standards for evaluating evidence? Then we run into the danger that unbelievers here when we never analyze what might be mistaken in their idea of appropriate standards. Yeah, so uh, he says that we need to challenge underlying assumption. He says that uh, otherwise, without challenging the underlying assumptions, the claims from the Bible tend to get distorted and biblical assumptions, a non-Christian worldview. And so we undertake, he tells us, to analyze the assumptions and commitments that belong to unbelief and that energize objections to the gospel. And when we consider typical intellectual objections with the Western world, we find at least three vulnerabilities among these various assumptions. And so he wants to kind of walk us through these three vulnerabilities. Right. 
So first, we find irony. Uh, Non-Christians think of Christian faith as ignorant and dogmatic. But ironically, they have the <laughs> ignorance and dogmatic dogmatism of their own view. The typical inhabitant of the university system looks down on Christianity in the midst of considerable ignorance concerning its actual claims in the midst of massive ignorance about the roots of their own notions. Right. So here he's suggesting that, you know, okay, they, they say Christians are ignorant and dogmatic, but he's saying, wait a minute, right? As they don't even know what Christians believe often. And so that's ignorance, right? And they look on Christians, uh, look down on Christians. Well, that's being rather dogmatic, right? And so there's an irony there, right? What they're claiming for Christians, they actually have themselves is what he's getting at. Right. He feels comfortable affirming autonomy and rejecting Christianity, not because he has analyzed or checked out his commitments, but because everyone around him has similar notions. He has just accepted an atmosphere. And he is ignorant that this is what has happened, having accepted the atmosphere, he holds it automatically. I've created the straw man, I've torn it down, and therefore I feel good with where, I, where I'm at. And right. then, yeah. well, as a Christian, I don't believe what, what you're saying uh, there. And so it's like, well, but I've already come to this conclusion. So uh, you, you are the ignorant one. And, and so you, 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 want, you want only women to, to suffer and, and, and go back to uh, uh, being non-voting, uh, 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 you know, uh, kitchen dwellers uh, who, uh, whose only job is to reproduce. <laughs> Well, I mean, okay, if, if, if that's where you think uh, where we get it from, but, uh, the, you know, the, the, the rise of, 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 uh, uh, female um, uh, freedom and rights uh, is, is founded in the uh, Christian tradition uh, going back even uh, during the Roman times. And so uh, that, that, that doesn't seem to be the case, but too late, uh, you know, you're, you're just, you're the caricature that has been portrayed in media and therefore uh, we can, we can, uh, you know, uh, dust off our hands and and be done with you. All right. So it's ironic that the, the thing that they blame Christians, right, being ignorant and dogmatic, uh, they partake of themselves. Right. So secondly, he says some people might have thought uh, through this autonomy and might reject Christian faith, you know, in a much more informed way. So these people aren't necessarily, you know, as ignorant as as some, right? But he says they too have the foundations of their lives on sand. For for example, they have no firm foundation for moral judgments, right? If God does not exist, moral standards evaporate into just personal or social preferences, right? So the attempt to announce uh, judgment and pronounce judgment about the alleged ignorance and dogmatism of a Christian evaporates into the will to exercise power, their own personal power or perhaps social power over someone because they have no basis for morality, right, to make these judgments. And so according to which a person projects his subjective preferences uh, onto others. So if there is no basis for morality and I'm saying somebody else is wrong, all I'm saying is I prefer something else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was just uh, on Twitter this morning and uh, uh, some someone uh, had, had a uh, cross post where uh, the atheist was saying, uh, if, if there's uh, one thing that we know, it's that uh, more often than not, uh, 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 non-Christians, atheists are uh, more moral than Christians uh, are. Like okay, well, what are, what are your objective standards to measure that? Well, no, the, everything's subjective. Uh, well, okay, <laughs> so so then you can't call you better 
well, I can call me better in the same way that I can call this band better than this band. Right. But that's just your, your just personal preference. So you're, no. you're saying I like this over this, but it's not, it's not more moral. You can't, you, you can, you can uh, compare it within the scope of your own circle, but you can't compare it to the circle of everything. And so the, the, you know, the, that's the, that's the issue that we get when, when we talk about this. So, so oh, you, you Christians, all, all you want is to bring slavery back and slavery is wrong. And therefore, uh, I, I don't have a book that tells me that slavery is wrong. Therefore I'm more moral. Well, why, <laughs> why is that the case? Why, why, why is that um, moral? And so, well, I can make these type of argumentations, but okay, those argumentations might work for you, but it's not objectively the case. It's just, those are the reasons that you want to give for why uh, you believe that this is better than a different way, but it's not objectively better. It's just subjectively better. And so that, that's uh, that's the second issue that he goes through. All right. The, the third one is that non-Christian secretly depends on God and his good gifts day by day and uh, in issues of morality and knowledge and other spheres. And we kind of talked about, uh, we, we did talk about this in our last book as well. So and he's going to talk a little further about this yeah. particular issue. All three of these vulnerabilities <laughs> represent possible starting points for apologetic discussions. Very much so. Uh, um, um, morality is being a key one. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, James Anderson talks about how uh, even with his all his knowledge of, of tag and everything like that, even though he uses the uh, tag type uh, argumentation, uh, the, the, the moral argumentation is, is one of his uh, favorites because it's the one that uh, kind of gets us more down the road. Uh, in discussions with people. And so Frame's book helps us uh, forward in this process and in, in these three processes. Yeah, good. So, and so now he moves on to what he calls this section on the persuasiveness of general revelation. He says, let's consider a bit more the just third vulnerability, right? Concerning this kind of secret dependence on God, right? So, you know, all people are dependent on God. He says a non-Christian in the West typically assumes that reality consists in facts that do not clearly reveal God. So if a Christian concedes this assumption, he tells us, or if he appears to concede it by never challenging it, uh, then the special claims of Scripture you know, begin to lose their plausibility. And so he's suggesting you can't do this. You can't let this go unchallenged. If uh, the non-Christian gains the alleged right to interpret the world autonomously, he will also interpret scripture autonomously, very much the case, and conclude that it is merely human. Well, we know there's no God, but uh, the Bible says, well, no, there is no God. Therefore, the Bible is just something made up. So there, rejected. On the other hand, a robust understanding of general revelation helps to unveil ways in which the knowledge of God is suppressed in unbelief. I am way more moral. I have a sense of deep morality when it comes to this sense morality. Hold on. We're just all random accidents bumping along. Uh, you, you're, you're fizzing more than, than uh, other people in this area. you you believe very highly in this, but so what? How does this how does this lend to your survivability? How does how does caring about uh, uh, people in Indonesia uh, help you in in um, in Alaska? Uh, it doesn't. So you shouldn't be concerned about this because it doesn't lend to your uh, uh, survivability. You should be honestly. You should be uh, not being so uh, obtrusive. You should get married and have more children in order to pass on your genes. That's the ultimate goal for our species, is it not? So. 
why don't we just stop doing more things that uh, happen out in the world and just get get uh, more children out in the world and and uh, be better parents? Well, okay. Yeah. So, by what standard is 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 that the case? Why why isn't that the case according to uh, that understanding? Non Christians depend on God and simultaneously corrupt their knowledge of God in their situation of dependence and frame unpacks these dependencies. Right. And so we'll see that as we go through uh, frames. So finally, he says, uh, we kind of return to be to the beginning, right? What is needed is discipleship to Christ. So we're back at this idea of commitment and discipleship. He says, uh, we need to be calling um, folks to discipleship. Those who are caught in the prison of unbelief and darkness. Uh, but we also need to grow as Christians ourselves. Serious discipleship leads to understanding God and the world, and understanding bears fruit in apologetics. So every piece of food, he says, and every moral issue are potentially starting points for apologetic discussion, because every apple testifies to its source in God. Mm. And so in the end, Frank's book, he tells us, expounds discipleship in the area of apologetics. And so that's what he wants us to see with regard to Frame's book. And so that's kind of Poltrus here, his take, his forward on Frame's book. And uh, he kind of raises some of these issues. And as we'll see, Frame will kind of deal with these in more detail and, you know, uh, in, in a way that will help us understand what, uh, this particular approach to apologetics. Right. And if you don't think you're getting value out of just that, you have an entire episode just on the forward to the book. I can't imagine <laughs> what more we can offer you uh, once we get into the meat of it. So uh, uh, we we haven't even covered uh, out of the uh, the Roman numeral section of this book yet. And so uh, next time we'll cover the uh, uh, preface and go right into uh, to chapter one of 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 our book here by by John Frame. And so. Um, what we do for these books is uh, we put out the full episode on Mondays and then uh, on uh, YouTube and the website, uh, we put uh, individual clips uh, from the episode. And so you can check all those out at cavetothecross.com or on YouTube, Rumble, uh, Odyssey uh, for, for all your uh, video needs. And uh, if you just want to listen to it, uh, the audio can be found on, on the website uh, as well. So um, uh, we, we give you content pretty much every single day of the, the week. You can also go to uh, com for book reviews and anytime that we uh, guest appear uh, for uh, various shows, um, that's there and any types of writing that uh, we might do. Um, and so uh, um, all that can be found. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, all, all the other ones. Those are all linked on the main page of com. And so you can consume us in any way that uh, your hearts desire, as long as they're uh, geared towards uh, God, or uh, even if you don't know it, they're geared towards God anyway. So um, join us next time as we crack open uh, the first chapter after the preface of uh, uh, John Frame's Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And thanks for joining us. So we'll see you next time. See you next time.